0: We. Are. I. Before we go to bed, we agree that we need to be out the door at 5 o'clock in the morning. So we're setting our alarm clocks, and I realize that, you know, the distance we have to travel to be able to get to where we're going, I can just set my alarm clock for normal time. And this one, the beautiful parts about having a, a nice early morning routine, something that starts early, something that that fills your soul every single day. Is that when you go do something else that follows the very same similar nature, something that you do just to be able to fill your soul and tap into who you are as a human being. You don't even have to do something as simple as, you know, change the time that you wake up in the morning. You know, so the alarm goes off and I wake up and, you know, the coffee's already brewing because my uncle has to leave to go work on the trains. if you know, he gets up at four o'clock in the morning and I could hear the, the gurgling of the drip coffee maker. It's a beautiful sound at, you know, 4.10 in the morning. You can smell that aroma of coffee brewing in the air. Quickly just wipe off the eye blankets and, you know, hop into the bathroom, have a shower, get out, get dressed. And he's sitting around the, the island talking about what's about to come, you know, for both of our days. So my nephew and I, we we get ready and we hop out the door. We have our packs. We have our binoculars. I realized that you know we're not going anywhere where I need my spotting scope, so take that out of the bag. One less thing to to pack around. You know, grab all my my knives and grab my pack, my my everything and tags, wallet. Good, good. We Got everything out the door. So we get to our spot and you know we pull up and we're waiting there and we're getting all of our packs and getting all of our gear ready and realize that you know even though we got there at 5:30 like we anticipated starting to get a little bit light outside we're we're probably about you know 20 minutes 30 minutes too late but who knows that because when I'm sitting here in the morning recording the podcast like it seems dark outside but you know when you're hunting you have to you know be there half an hour 45 minutes in your spot before there's even that little touch of blue you know you have to be there and you have to be ready you have to be sitting in your spot ready to go Yeah, you know, so we're we get there. We look around. We we see these choke points where, you know, we had our game plan for the day. But on the drive there, we decided, you know, to go down into this little coolie, into this gully by this creek, you know, because we did spot a game trail that seemed really fresh. You know, but as we're setting up our packs, we hear these dogs barking from this house that's at the top of this coolie. It's two, three dogs just going at it so we obviously know there's something there and something moving around and you know like these deer they're ready for that you know they know that those dogs have been there these deer they've been around that area and those dogs for months maybe years but we know that they're used to it so let's get down there so we you know sneak down this little trail through this orchard you know through this cut in the fence and down this coulee side as far away as possible as we can get and you know, we get down to this little game trail, not very well used, but it's a nice pathway through the trees. So we're going to sneak into this one active game trail. It goes north and south up this coulee, you know, and we're traversing across this coulee east and west. So we get to this spot where we know, you know, we have a good vantage point into this little meadow. And this is where this game trail goes. This game trail essentially goes from this little meadow by the creek. Straight up the coulee bank you know which is about three hundred yards and then it's right at the opening to the orchard so like of course we can see but the one funny thing about this is though is typically deer don't walk straight up a hill they zigzag this is how we you know design cutbacks because we follow their trails there's always switchbacks and cutbacks on a game trail rarely ever do they go straight up so this something that I noticed was, was odd. So we're sitting there crouched down by this tree, like well hidden from our, our, you know, direct immediate sight to anything that we see scent being something different. Air is relatively still. So we don't have to worry about, you know, our scent going anywhere, which is also a problem because if the air is still, your scent is just pooling around you, which is not a good thing. Like you need a decent amount of, you know, breeze so that you can play that into your advantage so it's blowing your scent away, not letting it marinate and stew exactly where you're sitting. Snap. Well that was big It's weird because deer don't usually make a whole lot of whole lot of sound like that. Like it's some pretty heavy, big thick branches breaking. Okay. For every five minutes or so just Hearing some more branches breaking, right close to us, you know, maybe you know, fifty to seventy-five yards away from us in these trees. But the problem is, we see a portion of this this clearing, this meadow. You know, but we can't see the whole thing, nor can we see what's in the trees around it. We only just see this north and south game trail, which is obviously the the air quotes highway that these animals are taking, or at least animal. You know so after about 45 minutes of listening to this you know I, I say to my my nephew I'm like I'm just gonna go down this trail a little bit you know I'm going to sneak down this, this main trail and just see what I can see see how far I can go because it's about 800 yards before there's the property line but you know can we get down along that property line to the bottom you know this this Coulee so maybe we can sneak in from the backside into this meadow and Cut off whatever's in there because maybe these deer, are feeding in this meadow right now, or you know having to drink of water, or just bedded down there. Like I don't know. You know, so I sneak down there and I see what's going on, and I come back. And he keeps telling me like this: this sound has not gone away. There's obviously something down there. So we agree, you know, to go down to this this edge, this property line, down the side of this coulee. Of the last you know, maybe 50 yards to the bottom, and then we'll sneak into this meadow and see what we can find. But we both keep hearing these branches snapping and this, you know, kind of pawing at the ground, which should be the first hint. So we get down to this meadow and literally still steaming right there where, you know, the kind of the almost end of this game trail is just a big pile of bear scat. We're like, okay, fair enough. But there's one thing that's kind of unnerving is when you're when you're hunting, even though you have means to be able to you know take an animal's life, you're looking at that as really we if we sneak up on this bear and we scare it, we only have a bow. You know, like sure I got knives and I do have my bear spray in my pack, but if we surprise this bear, this bear has cubs. You know, for one. You're legally not allowed to shoot a bear that has cubs. You know, but you are legally allowed to defend yourself. But what do we really have to defend ourselves with? Nothing. She's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Didn't really think of that. Not really that it's too big of a deal, but it's something that you need to anticipate because it is a variable in this factor. You know, because if a bear is charging at you and you have a bow, you're not going to get very many arrows off like very many as in maybe one. And what are you really going to do? It's like bear spray. If you're being charged by a bear and you deploy your bear spray, you are going to get mauled. It's just hopefully that you won't get mauled that bad before the bear starts to smell that bear spray and realize that it doesn't want to be around you. Instead of spraying your bear spray in the air, it's almost better that you spray your bear spray on you so that you know that you're coated in it and hopefully that it just irritates this bear. Because the one thing about bear spray, especially grizzly bear spray, is it's like a cloud, like a mist. So if there's any kind of breeze, it just blows it away. Like it's effective, but it's also not effective at the same time. It's it's a very interesting paradox. Once you know a little bit about bears and bear spray, there's not a lot of comfort in having bear spray, let me tell you, because I've also been in that position being charged by grizzly bears. So we're down, we realize that we're, you know, one of us on each side of this meadow and we're we're creeping along and we're trying to find now this bear, be like, hey, because we can go to town and we can get a bear tag if we need it come back the next day and harvest this bear if we want it then we don't see it because you realize it's just that as much as you create these scenarios in your mind it it's to be charged by a bear really is a one-off because as we know we know that bear was down there and maybe it was just sitting up in a tree watching us and we didn't realize you maybe was just nestled in and crouched down because it was so scared of us thinking in its own rudimentary mind, whatever thoughts that may be going through it, that it's like, fuck, here's these, you know, people that are out to kill me. And, you know, I don't don't know if I'm to hide down here. I know it's not thinking that in literal terms, but, you know, feeling those emotions. Because it does, like, those are those instincts that these animals rely upon because we didn't see it and it was gone. And once we got down in that meadow, and we were traversing along it, we never heard any more tree branches snap. Not one bit. So we realized our spot's kind of burnt and lit up now and, you know, it's around that time. So we decided to head back up this Coulee Bank and walk around in this orchard because we do know exactly the small sector, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 acres of this 150 acres that, you know, the, these deer in Because we scoured this property and realized that there's only these, you know, hoof prints, you know, in this one little area. So we get back to the top and we're walking down some rows nice and slow, just seeing if we can see anything before it sees us, see anything bedded down or just catch a glimpse of something. Like, even if it runs away, fine, at least we know that it's there. Pop, pop. Damn it. Somebody just down the road obviously got what they came for. It's the worst. The worst is when you're hunting and you hear somebody else take those shots. It's the worst. Because then you, you get that feeling like, is your spot burnt now? You know, did that scare everything away? Was that the deer that you were planning on harvesting? Was it that one? But then you feel like, yeah, you know what? Good for him or her. Great. It's a hunter's spirit. You know, be happy for the person who, who gets some success. So we're walking around and we don't really see anything. Then there's a coyote that runs past. like, huh, well, maybe we shoot this coyote. You know, a little bit of moving target practice because, you know, coyotes, you can shoot as many as you want those every single day and you don't have to worry about it at all. And more of a nuisance than anything, killing off, you know, chickens and dogs and cats and all this other stuff on farms. But, yeah, whatever, not worth our time. We're here to be able to hunt deer. So we walk around a little bit more and, still nothing, not a sign, not even a doe, not a nothing, not even the glimpse of the bum of deer deer's it's running away. And it's like that discouragement kicks in because you also do know that the prime hours of hunting are just, you know, really that first hour in the morning, like after it's light enough to be able to see anything. And then same thing in the evening, but it's a little bit less. And it's usually a little bit more like the last half an hour so then we agree to hop back in the car and drive around to, you know, some of these fields to, you know, check out what might be there, you know, and then if we see something, we can go door knocking and see if we're allowed to hunt on their land. You know, because that's the, the one thing that nobody really wants is, you know, just random strangers moving around on their property, you know, hunting. It's always a point of contention, you know, so we drive around and I quickly realized that my nephew's, kind of checking out some fields, but he's not driving around on the roads. He's pretty much just taking the main road back to my uncle's house. So I was like, okay, I guess we're just going back there, which is not how I hunt. You know, I hunt if you're hunting, you're hunting all day, you know, whether or not it's prime hours or not, like you can see game during the day. You know, it's harder. They're not as transient, especially if it's warmer. Like it was warm, but it wasn't hot. So, you know, you'd be moving around a little bit more. Plus, it's, you know, getting a little bit later in the year. And bears especially need to be fattening up and getting their resources ready before they go to hibernate. And we get back to my uncle's house. And I'm kind of confused because I'm just not thinking this is this is not what I came here for. This is not what I'm doing. But then I realize that my nephew is only in his early 20s. And his girlfriend was at my uncle's. So I can kind of see the writing on the wall here. You know, and then we get into the house, and, you know, I'm thinking about making some breakfast now, having a little bit of something tea, you know, walking around, getting some fresh air. We've been up for hours already. You know, sure, it might only be nine o'clock, but I'm starting to get a little bit hungry. And then I realize that this motherfucker goes back to bed. And I'm like, what is this? Like, we have all day to be hunting. What are you going back to bed for? Like, this is an honor. This is a privilege. This is hunting season. This is something we wait all year for. Like, we have a limited amount of opportunities, not only to hunt during hunting season, but hunting season itself is a very short window. And you're going back to bed. You're missing out on all this great opportunity. We could be walking around these hills. Like, my uncle lives at the base of a mountain. And this mountain is called Hunter's Range. Like, can you imagine? living at the base of a mountain. This mountain is called Hunter's Range and it's hunting season and we're hunting and he goes back to bed. Can you believe that? Like, this is astonishing to me. So now getting into fixing brakes on a truck and visiting with my aunt, which are all great things. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, this is one of the beautiful things about hunting, too, is just spending time with, you know, friends and family. But I do realize through this whole scenario that's slowly starting to brew that, you know, I don't know if my nephew and I, if we can hunt together because we clearly have different perspectives of what hunting is and the effort that you need to put into it. So I'm like, okay, this is great, because at least I know this going into the future that, you know, like this is not hunting to me. If this is what I want to do and I have the time for it, this is what I can come to do. But I'm not gonna drive for five hours and take a whole weekend out of my my life to be able to go for where you're only gonna hunt maybe a couple hours in the morning and then, you know, sit around all day and do nothing. It's like that's that's not a valuable use of my time. You know, so then a few hours later, this young man wakes up and, you know, I'm like, hey, like, are, when are we going to go back out? And he's like, oh, I was kind of thinking around like, you know, four or five. And I'm like, fuck, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. So again, I can see the the writing on the wall in the situation about like what what this relationship may look like moving forward. So then we decide to hunt a little bit more around my uncle's place. And so we go to, you know, my aunt's brother's house and knock on the door and be like, hey, you know, you got 20 acres here. Like, do you mind if we just wander around? Because you live at the base of this mountain too, because they only live about five minutes away from each other. You know, like what, what are we going to see? So same thing, we go walking to the back of his property and immediately we see pile after pile, after pile like six, seven, eight piles of fresh that day, maybe the day before a bear scat. Big plum pits in there, you know, apple tree, two apple trees sitting right there on this this game show. Lots of places where this bear is laid down and bedded down and, you know, just enjoyed maybe an afternoon sun or just relaxing. Plus, you know, he says that the bear the night before had been sitting at the bottom of the plum tree, pulling the plums off the tree and eating them. So we're like, fuck, this is, this is where we need to be, right here. Plus they see, you know, deer walking back and forth you know, from the river, the Shuswap River, up into the mountain. So we know there's deer and bear here. Okay, great. That's great news. So we grab the blind from the car and we set this blind. We kind of go back and forth and we don't necessarily agree the best place to be able to put this blind. But, you know, we keep walking in and out on this game trail. And, you know, I say to them, like, I just don't think that us walking in on this trail that, you know, we want to, you know, harvest these deer or this deer or this bear on putting our scent everywhere, all over this, like it's not going to be encouraging for these animals to walk down. this. They're going to know that we're there. And, you know, but at the end of the day, they all come around knowing that, you know, these people walk around on this property. They have a very big property. It's a very active property. They're not just in their house. There's gardens, there's wood to be chopped, there's wood to be stacked, there's machinery moving around. Like, it's not like that you know, like this is an isolated, you know, parcel in the back country. This is a very active property. So, you know what, maybe it's not going to matter. So we set up our blind and, you know, we get cozy in there and we say, okay, this is the, this is the way it's going to be. You know, we have to go back and get a couple of lawn chairs and, you know, it's not the best time. It sounds like one o'clock in the afternoon. Like, let's go back. We'll have something to eat. We'll get organized. You know, we'll come back in a couple hours and we'll sit here till dark. So, maybe this is a good place to be able to end part two. This actually might even be a three or four part hunting series story. But this is Saturday. This is Saturday from 4.10 in the morning until 1 o'clock in the afternoon. This is hunting. Which you can tell, there has been nothing harvested. So... (laughs) I can laugh that off because it's kind of funny because 99 times out of a hundred, you know, like this is exactly what's hunting is like. And, you know, maybe before I end this episode, I'll tell you a story about what my dad said to me when I was on my way home. And, you know, so on Sunday afternoon, when I'm driving back home, I call my dad, I'm just like fucking hunting, you know, and I'm complaining about all this shit superficially, but just, you know, disappointed more than anything. And he's like, look, son, he's like, let me tell you one thing. He's like, When I was your age and I was hunting with my buddy and we were up in the mountains and you know like this is the beginning of my you know hunting experiences too because my dad and his friends would set up a a 20 by 40 wall tent and deep 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 into the mountains in Southern Alberta and they'd go to elk hunting and he said every single morning and every single evening for a month we'd get out and we'd look at this one meadow and this one hill or this one mountain at the very top of this mountain we would look because we knew that the elk herd walked across this one meadow because we've seen them in years past and they'd harvested elk from there it was just a matter of when the cold weather was coming So when it got cold enough they would migrate past through this meadow so they could go down the backside of this mountain and they could get into the foothills but they knew so he sat there every single day he said for a month it took a month of every single day for those elk to come across that meadow and I was like that's the kind of perseverance that i want right there that's the kind of perseverance that's ingrained in me that's the kind of perseverance that's in my blood some might call it stubbornness there's a little bit of that too but that's that's my heritage and I was happy about that so there's a little feel-good story for the end of this podcast Hope boy everybody has a great day and hope you're enjoying the the breakdown of the first hunting trip of the year